calls and the concerns of this world and to focus on your activity in our lives. I ask you to bless John David now as he teaches, leads us, challenges us, and guides us in the way of your word. Bless him with your spirit that we may be enriched to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have at it, sir. Thank you. Uh, yes. Dr. Dan. All right, come up here and uh, tell us in the mic. I have two uh, angel messages this morning. Number one, on December 22nd, John is going to come back and talk to us about uh, angels at the Nativity, 24-hour continuous adoration. That is a precursor to That's some That's how long the class is? Yes. <laughs> that is a precursor to some more angel stuff in the spring, which he tells me is going to be angels on the golf course. <laughs> the other angel told me Those that... Are holy angels. Holy angels. Oh, one, one, one. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to tee me off here. <laughs> the other angel message was there are 17 stockings that still need filled, arranged. Uh, I understand there's a table out here that can give you some more information. That angel didn't give me a lot, but they need help with filling, distributing 17 more stockings. Um, it's a mission project. So stop out in the hallway, if you will, and uh, be an angel for us. Thanks. Okay, thanks. Well, good morning, my friends. How are you? How are you? Good, good morning. Uh, today, I hope you have a book. If you don't, or if you have one and you just didn't bring it today, I, I still want you to have one in front of you. So who does not have one? You can return these, or you can uh, send a, um, <coughs> a gift of uh, $100 to... <laughs> Everybody has one? Okay, uh, and we're on the chapter, I think it starts on page 51, that's called uh, Returning to Oneness with God. Now, this may be uh, the most challenging chapter in this book. Uh, and uh, I was thinking about this this morning. I honestly think you could have like about a four to six week course just on this chapter alone. So uh, obviously, this will be hitting the surface of things, but we're going to do the best we can. And uh, I want to start us off with a little bit of introduction material. We're going to look up some text together. Uh, then we're going to look on pages 52 and 53 for the prayer of Jesus that's recorded in John 17. Now, if you don't want to read the translation I did on pages 52 and 53, you can just go to John 17 as well. And uh, I'll give you that text when we get there. Uh, but to start off, let's look at this passage right here, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And uh, let's talk about what humans, I think, were to be, were created to be. How were we created to be? And uh, we'll have uh, Sue start reading for us this morning. 1 Thessalonians 
going to actually study today in the Bible. It's just 23. Uh, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, what does that tell you about the human, us? No, you don't have to turn it off. I'll just take it back. What does that tell us about the human? The human being. What are we? What were we designed to be? We are cared for. Okay. Uh, holistically, God cares for us. Yes. Very good. Um, and God has great aspirations for us as humans. It's a really important idea to keep in our minds. Uh, yes, he's speaking uh, to Christians, okay, and I mean, I mean uh, later on we'll get to what we were and what we are now, but good point. Uh, God does something for us when we become Christians that is to be kept or maintained. Very good. And what else? What does this tell you about, we've got some great ideas about God here, but what about us as creatures? We are body. We are, body. We are soul. And we are spirit. Okay, so there's, we're whole beings, but we're comprised of three components or three dimensions. So it's easy. Body is our physicality. <clears throat> Greek word is soma <clears throat> or sarx, our physicality. Our soul, psyche, our mind, our personalities, the component of us that makes us uh, able to think and uh, relate to one another on an intellectual and an emotional level. And then the third part is spirit. Now you notice he makes a distinction between soul, good morning, and spirit. And so what I'd like you to do is give me some examples. We're talking about oneness with God today. So just try to segue into this whole notion. Can somebody give me an example of physical oneness that humans experience? Uh, Okay, sex. You said it. Actually, in church. <laughs> right to the point. Okay, and, and I'm glad you said that one because it's probably, in Scripture, it's probably the apex. Uh, it's defined as the highest form of physical oneness. And you recall from the beginning of the Scriptures, it says that Adam... Now the two shall become, yes, one flesh. And then later on it says Adam knew Eve. And, and you know, the implication, it's not a sexist statement, that Eve knew Adam. And the Hebrew word is yada, and it means to, to really become one on the physical level. Okay, beautiful. God created physical oneness. Probably can't get a better illustration of that. All right, let's, uh, any, any others can you think of? Physical? Maybe being pregnant. Oh, oh, that's another great one. You can have your philosophy because 
Yeah, right. But let's not get into the, you know, that debate. Let's just look at it biologically. There's no doubt that that uh, growing uh, fetus, which just means little baby, little child, that is entwined and one with the mother. This is something that men can't experience, only women can. Okay, that's another good illustration of physical oneness. The baby is tied, entwined, uh, attached to the mother in such a way that their lives are bound up with one another. Good illustration. All right, can you give me an example of uh, um, soul oneness, psychic oneness, mental oneness, personality oneness? How do humans experience some form of oneness with each other on the soul level? I think there's times in friendships where you're thinking of somebody and you call them and they say, oh, I can't believe it, but I was thinking of you too. There's kind of like this thing that happens, okay. you know, that you're just in touch. We say we're on the same page, you know, we might think alike, we... Um, choose people in our lives that affirm us and we can affirm? Beautiful. I think that's the best one, friendship. And, and what's the essence? You just said it. What's the essence of friendship? It's you have similar interests, you have commonalities, mm -hmm. you think alike. Mm -hmm. And of course, you're sometimes, you know, you can be good friends with people that you are uh, widely different with as well. But I want to focus on just this morning the kind of friendship that you have when you click and you seem to think together and you feel similarly about certain things. That's an example of soul oneness. Now let's get a little more challenging now. Can you give me an example of spiritual oneness? And like what would be the difference between spirit oneness and soul oneness and physical oneness, yes. When my husband and I pray um, together and we feel... Um, when my husband and I pray together, um, if we've had an argument or an emotional thing has happened... That happens? Yeah, <laughs> it does quite often. We seem to mesh together and our energy seems to become focused... You mean afterwards? To get, we just kind of blend. Okay. Our spirit blends. Okay. It feels like. Okay. Uh, does, is the dis disputation, the disagreement, still in existence? Uh, it dissipates it. It really does. It moves it forward and, okay. and sort of gets us beyond that. Okay. Good. That's so. a good example. Anybody else? An example of spirit oneness. Remember, this isn't, uh, this isn't the mental. It's not necessarily thinking the same way. Sharing life's meaning um, in a certain con context, perhaps. Okay, sh like when you can, what, share the meaning of life with another person. A uh, very <coughs> deep agreement or congruence about what, the, what this is all about. Okay, that's very good. Yes, go ahead. I think sometimes in corporate worship, when we worship together, or sometimes when we're in a, say, a Bible study group together, and we're experiencing uh, maybe something revealed, or, you know, there's a sense of uh, oneness. Okay, very good. Yeah, and that's, that's probably a good one. Okay. Just feeling God's presence. All right. Guiding me. F feeling God's presence, and then 
probably in, in relationship to his point, uh, it's expanded when you can have that experience with other people, right? That's, that's why we gather together so that we can have this corporate sense. I mean, we do it individually, but also corporately. Phyllis? snow and our um, she followed through by calling HBC and there's all kinds of meals that are available for those who need them but uh, it was a special time for Rosie and I because we were on the same plateau same level same of level. delivering some sort of ministry to other people pastor well this is not of God well perhaps it is but I would, I would throw them the metaphor of sports fans. I mean, if you look at yesterday in, in terms of football games, when you get large crowds together, there is a, a spirit that is beyond just the, the individuals. And it really is an amazing thing to kind of get caught up in. Um, it's not of the religious. Well, for some it is a religion, <laughs> but. I don't know. I, I <laughs> Looking at that uh, TV screen yesterday, it looks like some of those people were having a religious experience. Yeah. yeah. Yes, my fellow Wolverines. Oh. Um, but that, that whole thing in our culture. <laughs> Jack was speaking in tongues when they intercepted that pass. Anything you can repeat here? <laughs> I, I heard an interview from a, a college dean, and, they were, and he was retiring. They, they asked him, what was, uh, was there anything more powerful than the sports teams? He said, band. He said all the music programs at his college were more tightly knit more spiritually connected, all the music programs, choir, band, etc., than any of the sports teams. Hmm. And, and when when the choir is singing, I just I'm so moved by it, and hmm. it, it has to be a, a spiritual. Yeah, and this is but like let's take that when you guys are singing together, it, it, it's not like it's a not intellectual thing, but is there something that transcends intellect? Yes, that's. <laughs> I mean, it's a, you're, it's an experience, right? It's not something that you're really analyzing. It's a flow. Okay, now these are all great. Now I'm going to add a twisty to it. Makes it a little bit more difficult. Find Ephesians two one. Now we're going in the past. This is written to Jesus people, people that believe in Jesus. What does Paul tell us that we were prior to faith in Christ? Uh, Ephesians 2.1, and we need a, a reader. I don't know what happened to that mic. <coughs> there it is. Um, who would like to read for us? Thank you. Okay. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. All right. This is, this is a very short text written to Jesus' people. In the past, what does it say was true about the Christian. We were dead. Dead in what way? Spiritually. Spiritually dead. But we weren't dead soulishly, were we? Because before you became a Christian, you were able to think and process life and have friendship and even sing and play sports, and do all of the things that humans can do. 
And you weren't dead physically, were you? Except on Sunday morning. At Sunday. <laughs> yeah, right. <clears throat> so this is, this is, I mean, it's kind of twisty and sticky. You can be fully alive bodily, and you can be fully alive soulishly, psychically, intellectually, but you can be dead spiritually. And what does that mean? Dead spiritually. And, I, and I'm not doing this. This is analysis. This is not judgmental. Okay. Okay. Um, when you're not close or when you're separated from God, in effect, experientially, you're dead to God. And God is dead to you. In other words, it's not a living dynamic in your life, right? But you're alive. Okay, emptiness in the spirit realm. But you can be fully alive intellectually and fully alive physically, but just have that absence of life in the spiritual realm. Is this making sense? Yeah, okay. yeah, you could use, it's a lot of metaphors. You could say you were alienated. You were separated. There's not a relationship there. Yes, it is a lack of faith, um, because faith is the opening, and it's not just intellectual, it's a, it's, it's a, a leaning into, or a dependence upon God, it's an embrace of God, not just beliefs about God, it's actually from the heart and from the spirit that you trust in and, and incline towards God, and then that makes the spirit life come alive. Yes, Sue? seems like a lot of people shut themselves off from the spirit because they are afraid of it and they want to stay with things that they can think and do. Mm -hmm. They're much more comfortable there and this is frightening. Yes. Now, uh, that's a great point because, I mean, we are biological creatures and so uh, the life that we have biologically is given to us. We, it, we don't really have a choice about it and it just goes on a pace, right? I mean, you're just living, and it's only until you get older that you start reflecting on, like, where did my life come? But we, we are alive physically. There's nothing we can do about that, as it were. And we also develop, as human beings, cognitively, and we go to school, and we start learning, and we learn music, and we learn all these things in our souls. But somewhere along the line, it, we become aware, if we become Christians, that there's an absence in our life of something, right? My family, um, it was very helpful that they understood that there was the spiritual, mm -hmm. and, and so it wasn't a shock. But I have friends, one I brought last week, right. who was very, very bright, and her she was brought up Christian science, but I mean, she really was not brought up in the Christian tradition, so when it hit her, what a spiritual, it, it hits like a ton of bricks. Yes. Now, that's a good point, because I don't know what all of your experiences have been, 
But after the first generation, of course, you know, all the people that first followed Jesus, this was their condition. They, they were dead spiritually. Then they came alive when they first encountered and believed in Jesus. But after that first generation, when those Christians began to have babies, what was God's ideal for how kids would be raised? They would be raised in an atmosphere in which they would be nurtured physically, just like all parents tend to do, nurtured soulishly, sent to school, taught to develop intellectually, experience friendship, but also an atmosphere was to be created in the home so that it wouldn't be a big shock, right? So that the kid would understand as they grow up that being connected with God and entering into the spiritual world is the way God intended it to be. Now, which do we most favor in our culture? The kid that grows up in that kind of an atmosphere and slowly but surely comes to understand, yes, there is a God, and yes, I can know God, and slowly but surely they begin to open their spirit, and slowly but surely they come alive and they understand God. Or the shocking, radical, smashing conversion that occurs when somebody has been living totally divorced from God for a long time and doing you know, maybe horribly wicked things, and then all of a sudden... Exalted, yeah. John, yes. there, was, there was a line you stepped over there. You, yeah, yes, you, there was. You, you know, that line seems to me to be self, and it's when we step outside of ourselves, we realize that there's something bigger, that we're a part of something bigger in ourselves. That seems to be the line you stepped over, and that seems to be part of the maturation and, and sanctification you're talking about. Exactly, and you know, so if you grew up in a household that that line doesn't exist, and then the only thing that matters in life is what? biological uh, perfection and soulish perfection. And think about it, in Christianity was born in a culture, the Greco-Roman culture, that exalted what? Physical perfection and intellectual development. And honestly, I mean, if you look at that culture, I mean, the things that we did yesterday, the, the stadiums, the physicality of sports, where did we get all that stuff? That's a direct import from the Greco-Roman culture, right? And it's also uh, all the advertisements that went through all of the games, all of the universities have their little ads and they all say what about themselves? If you come to our university, boom, <laughs> you're gonna explode intellectually, right? All good, I mean, they're not putting it down. But if that's it, if that's, if that's normal, if that's what it means to be a human being, to become physically uh, awesome and intellectually awesome, and there is no line in a person's consciousness that we are to also step into the spiritual realm, then you can see how uh, your point is well made, that you won't take that step because you don't even know it exists. Yes? What, in those stadiums? I did see some... Uh, I saw people weeping. I saw them. Uh, so it brought them to here. <laughs> I hope. Okay, so that's what we were. Now, what does he say Jesus' people are? Now, now that 
Jesus people or Christians have stepped into that line, however you did it. You could have grown up in a nurturing home that slowly and surely allowed you to believe that there was a line to be crossed, or you could have a conversion experience like the Apostle Paul, going completely in one direction away from God, and boom, smashing conversion. Yes, you, and when does this happen? God made you alive because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Made he, us. When we were dead in transgressions. God by, did this. It's by grace that you were saved. By grace. It's a gift. It's by faith. It's not <coughs> what we do. So, yes, there is a part of us that does take that step into the realm of the spirit. But you and I are supposed to understand it's not because we're smarter or better. It's because God's grace gave us the ability to step into that realm and become alive to God again. So uh, there should be no question about this. If you really understand what the apostles taught, Christians ought to be the most humble people of all people because at the foundation of what it's all about to be a Jesus follower, you're told repetitively and over and over and over again, how is it that you took that step? It was totally by God's grace. It was something God gave to you as a gift. What's there to boast about, Paul says? Is that always true about Christians? No. No. So that's a theological problem that we have, and I think it's rooted in what Sue was talking about earlier. Before you take that step, what is life all about? It's what you do physically, how you develop yourself physically. It's what you do to develop yourself intellectually. It's about what you do. It's com competition. It's who's smarter. It's who's stronger. And the, the, all of a sudden now you're, you're told in the Bible that if you have stepped over that line and you have become alive in the spirit, it's not because you're better than other people. It's because God is rich in mercy and God is giving you a gift of grace and allowed you to take that step. Okay, very good. Now, <coughs> let's see what Jesus' people can become. We were designed to be a three-part creature. We're, not, we're going to be studying about angels on the 22nd and also in this course in the spring, whenever it's going to be. Well, what are angels? They're spirits. They're spirits. They don't have bodies. And God can also make creatures that don't have spirits, like what? Animals. And so the unique thing about us being humans is that we have all three. It doesn't make us better or worse. It's just this is God's way of making creatures. We were dead spiritually. Through God's grace, we did become alive. Now we need to understand from Jesus' point of view what we can become. Now, I'm going to read this to you. Um, if you want to follow along in the text... 
Right. I'm on page 52 and 53, and uh, that is from John 17, 20 through 23, so it doesn't matter which one you read it from. And I'm going to read this to you. <clears throat> this is Jesus praying in the garden the night before he was killed. I am asking not only for these, but also for all those that will believe in me because of the message, of their message about me. So who's Jesus praying for, first of all? Us. That night he was praying for you and me as well. That they may become one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they may be one in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. The glory you gave to me, I have given to them, so that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete oneness, so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you gave to me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Okay, now I want you to go back to seventh grade. What was your favorite exercise in seventh grade? What? Recess. Yeah, what, what, did, what did we spend a lot of time in seventh grade doing? <laughs> it involves language. Conjugating verbs. That was and, our favorite. Well, <laughs> <laughs> all right, what was your most hated exercise in seventh grade? Wasn't it diagramming sentences? Tearing and parsing language apart? Okay, here's what I want you to do. At your table with your colleagues, I want you to quasi-diagram this section. I'm going to give you 10 minutes to do it. I really want you, I don't want you to turn it into a purely a grammatical exercise, but I want you to really try to understand what the master is praying here. Get the subject of his prayer. Get the dynamics that are attached to it. I'm going to give you 10 minutes to do it. I'll come pop around and try to help a little bit. And when you feel like you've achieved an understanding of what the master said here, prayed here, then we'll come back together as a group and see if we can understand it, okay? So go to it, and I'll be right with you at your table in a second. Uh, yeah, sort of diagram it, but don't get lost in the minutia of, of uh, grammar. Uh, scrap paper. Mm -hmm. 